I was on retreat last weekend, and it was with the nuns from Aloka Vihara up in um, Northern California. It was a spirit rock retreat, but obviously it was it was virtual. I did it from home, but it, I had registered for it uh, months ago, and now uh, I, it moved to online, and it was really good. And the the main teaching, well, they they were working with the um, a book, a new a new edition of the poems of the elder nuns, which have been around, you know, over two thousand years, uh, and they're really it's a new beautiful translation of seventy three poems of the first the first um, they call them the first free women, the first women who are enlightened, and they're in the time of the Buddha. And these texts have been around um, as long as the the, the the suttas. They're part of the suttas, the, the discourses. And so the teaching actually was on the um, four foundations of mindfulness. But they would use these um, some poems to support what they were talking about, which was really lovely. But one of the words they used, the nuns used, uh, really frequently was equipoise, which I've only heard it used in Dharma talks. And usually only Dharma talks while I'm on retreat, because I don't, does, do any of you use that word in your life? <laughs> no. And it, it basically means equanimity, but it's... Um, it's, they used it a lot, and so it just stuck in my mind, and I said, okay, that's what tonight's topic is going to be, equipoise. And uh, I looked it up, and it means a balance of forces, which is what, you know, equanimity is a balance. And when, when I say a balance of forces, I think of tug of war, a perfectly balanced tug of war or arm wrestling where nobody's getting anywhere. But it's 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 more than that. It's it's equanimity. It's really this um, what Jack Hornfield says: spaciousness and balance of heart. So we have a spaciousness and a balance of our heart. And he also uh, where all things appear unhindered. That just everything is just open and spacious and not attached to anything else. And he he has a quote in A Path with Heart: When we finally look at horrors and joys our birth and death, the gain and loss of all things with an equal heart and open mind, there arises the state of the most beautiful and profound equanimity, a level of wondrous peace. So it's the state of profound balance, this ability to look at the horrors and joys and birth and death and gain and loss of all things with an equal heart and an open mind. And that's what we talk about all the time, this, this ability to let go of attachment, because if you, if you cling, you will suffer. So if you don't cling, you will not suffer, and you will get to this place of peace. Um, you know, it's being in the world, but not being caught by it. I think that's, uh, he says that they also, it's, it's a common concept in a lot of different religions, this, this idea of openness and spaciousness and oneness and, and connectivity. And so that's, that's what we're talking about when we talk about equanimity. And in the Abhidhamma, which is kind of part of the uh, uh, a, a treatise or a scholarly investigation of the suttas, it talks about 
the equanimity and equipoise as this universal and beautiful, the universal and beautiful factors of the mind. So again, it's the universal and beautiful factors. It's just the mind being really sweet and open and spacious, not contracted. When we're clinging, you feel that tightness, that holding on, that I can't let it go because what if I let it go? What will happen then? So recognizing that we can be open and still be unshakable. You don't have to hold on tightly. You don't have to grasp. We don't have to cling. And, and um, equanimity is found in so many uh, places in the teachings. The end of many lists, the place you want to get to, I, I can use the word culmination, but it's, it's, it's what, what you're going for. Um, so it's it, the eight worldly winds is a teaching on equanimity that we are unshakable. We're unmoving when we're faced with gain and loss and pleasure and pain and, and praise and blame and fame and infamy. You know, we don't have a preference for one or the other. We're able to be at ease with all of those where we have this open, um, spacious heart. It's in the Brahma Viharas, which are the heart practices, the divine abodes, where uh, when you're when you are at ease, you have the appropriate response to anything. If there's if there's um, if there's suffering, you greet it with compassion. If there's joy, you are joyful and happy and you treat everything with loving kindness, with friendliness. That's when you are balanced. You, you, that's where you come from. And um, uh, it's a factor of wisdom. Being, seeing clearly. When you can see clearly, you're not deluded by your conditioning. And Joseph Goldstein wrote a big old book on mindfulness. And when he talks about equanimity, he says, or actually he talks about, he quotes the third Zen patriarch. Um, who says, the great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. When attachment and aversion are both absent, the way is clear and undisguised. Make the smallest distinction, however, and heaven and earth are set infinitely apart. So when you have no preference, it's, it's, um, the way is clear. But when there's a little bit of preference, everything is knocked out of whack because you are now leaning in one direction or another. You're no longer in balance. And so when you are able to let go of the attachment and the craving and the preference, um, that's where the freedom is. And that's what I, one of my favorite definitions of equanimity, which you've probably heard me say a million times, equanimity is the ability to be deeply intimate with our experience without preference, to be willing to be with the pain, to be with the hurt, to own it, to feel it, to see it. It's, it's um, to recognize the, the teaching of, an, of, of impermanence, of conditioned self, and, and that the life is uh, unsatisfactory. Nothing we can latch onto is going to bring us everlasting happiness. It doesn't work that way. So to see that clearly and be able to be fine with it. It's like, okay, that's the way it is. That's where this tremendous freedom comes from. Um, you know, and there's 
what is it? They, they, Ajahn Chah, who's a, the teacher in the Thai forest tradition from the last century, says, the mind is already unmoving and peaceful around which moods arise. So the mind is already at ease and calm and balanced. But because of this conditioning we have, this crap that's piled on it, that's when we develop these preferences. That's when we develop, we think that'll make us happy or that better not happen because if that happens, I'm going to be screwed. In Mahayana tradition, I think this is what they refer to as Buddha nature. When you have Buddha nature, when you're just this luminous, this luminous heart, you have this luminous heart that's just covered up by all this gunk, by all this crap, by all this conditioning, by this belief that you're better than me or they're better than you because of the color of your skin or 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 sexual preference or or where you're from or the language you speak or or any of those things. There's I always remind this this teaching always reminds me of that old original Star Trek for, for those of you who watch that old Star Trek and there's two guys on the ship one 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 guy is chasing this escaped criminal or this escaped uh, person that he's trying to capture and bring back to his planet and um, they have one side of their face black and one side of their face white and finally I can Captain Kirk or Spock asks him asks the guy who's hunting the other guy why are you even hunting this guy? What's the difference between you two? And he's like, what? Can't you tell? One of us is black on the left and the other one is black on the right. That's like a big deal. And of course, this was in the 60s. So, you know, they were a little heavy handed with their uh, with their things. But that's that's what it gets down to. I prefer, you know, white on the left and black on the right. You know, and it, it's it's it that seems so screwy and silly but when you take a step back and when you see things clearly how we're we're caught up in these these um made-up stories you know we made up stories um because right now of what's going on in our world with the the this lovely wonderful finally um awakening to black lives matter by a lot of people more than just a few people people are starting to look into the history of race you know that it's kind of a concept that developed after the enlightenment you know in the last four or five centuries um it was developed in order to, it's economic basis because it's if we can have slaves then we don't have to pay them and we get more revenue um, and therefore we, we decided that those people, and we like their country too, so, and they don't live the way we live. So these, all these grand scenarios. And so people are starting to educate themselves on this stuff that's all made up. A lot of things in religion are made up too. You know, my favorite is the Catholic church and limbo, which is where little unbaptized babies would go. Um, if babies died, before they were baptized, they went to limbo. And then in the ecumenical council of the early 60s or sometime there when that was shifting, the, the church said, now nah, we're getting away with limbo. It doesn't exist anymore. And I'm like, well, what are you going to do with all those babies? For, you know, and then, but you look back in history and it's like, oh, they just made that up anyway. 
So they just make you make shit up. So anyway, that's conditioning and and to get rid of all those preferences to see clearly is is when you are able to move into a place of equanimity and not needing things to be a certain way, not being so, so invested in your point of view, in your way of life and how you think things should be. There's a tremendous freedom in that. Because how much suffering is there when you don't get your way? Um, it's painful. It can be really painful. And um, in the in the one, Satipatthana is the um, uh, uh, the sutta that talks about mindfulness. That's that's um, that's the name in Pali. And this one uh, monk, Analia, who's this German. A scholar, he has written a lot on the Satipatthana Sutta, and he says, uh, talking about equanimity, he says, equanimity marks the suitable mental condition for the event of realization, meaning you have to have this, you have to be in this place of equanimity, of not grasping, not clinging, not pushing away in order to be uh, liberated, in order to achieve enlightenment, get to that place of, of complete freedom from suffering, from the extra level of suffering that we cause ourselves. So it's about paying attention. It's really about paying attention. So I kind of want to talk about how you get to this place of equanimity because, you know, it's like, sounds like a good thing. How do we get it? You know, can I buy it in the store? You can probably get it from Amazon, I'm sure. So I'm sure so. I am sure, I am sure somebody will sell you something that will guarantee you enlightenment. I know that's probably true. If you, I'm, and we're all going to Google it when we get off this class. <laughs> Since this is an online class, we can Google it now, but I won't. Anyway, um, so how do you get there? There's a, there's a few ways. Um, letting go. Renunciation. Letting go of attachment. You know, letting go of needing things to be a certain way, letting go of fixed ideas. I say it as if it's easy and you know it's not because we've been we've talked about this before. It's like letting go, not because you'll be a better person if you go without, but to see that clinging causes suffering. And when you let go, there's freedom. There's the open hand versus the clenched hand. There's the open heart versus the clenched heart. There's such a tremendous amount of freedom there. Letting go of expectations. And setting intentions to, to pay attention. You know, they say it a lot in the sutta, in the mindful, the four foundations of mindfulness, the Satipatthana Sutta. Pay, paying careful attention. Paying careful attention. You have to pay attention. Um, hang out with wise people. You know, that's that's a way to do it. Don't hang out with people who are, are walking the walk. Not just talking the talk. Um, you know, uh, working with the Brahma Vihara, the 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 um, the heart practice around equanimity, real, which says that um, people are heirs to their own actions. They their happiness depends on their actions, not on my wishes for them, which is really important. You know, that's a lot of codependency there. You know. You know, and thinking we can control the actions of other people and recognizing that we can't. All we can do is right here, what, you know, what we do. Uh, and then mindfulness, 
mindfulness is the foundation of liberation, is the foundation of freedom. It's absolutely imperative. This practice of mindfulness, there's nothing. That's why we, that's why we sit. Because what we're doing when we sit is cultivating mindfulness, is, culti- is, is recognizing the habits of the mind and letting them go, disentangling from them. And so first foundation of mindfulness is est- establishing yourself in the body and seeing the body as an instrument to this path. And so this, this body awareness, this ability to recognize what's happening to hang out with the body. Um, in the in the in the sutta, there's all the all kinds of exercises, all kinds of meditations, like the 32 parts of the body, really getting intimate with the 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 this meat sack that we uh, carry around on our skeleton. So to become familiar with that, it's just recognize that we there's we are just like everyone else. You know, we are ske- flesh and bone and blood and bile and all the other yummy things that are in our bodies just like everyone else so there's that there's that that um uh, kind of normalization i think of who we are when we do that type of practice and part of the the first foundation practice is um, um corpse meditation you know, and, and recognizing that um, death is not um, a punishment, that death is just part of life. It's just it's just part of the natural flow and it's going to happen to all of us. So that real establishment in the body and you begin to recognize things in the body um, when you pay attention to it, because we're so disconnected, so many of us. So to reconnect with the body is powerful. It's a powerful practice, absolutely powerful. And then the breath is in there too, the breath and body. Know when you're breathing in, know when you're breathing out. Know when you're sitting, know when you're walking, know when you're lying down. Second, second foundation is also incredibly important and i love the, this teaching and the buddha does it very often he 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 establishes this thing that builds on top of itself you know you first you have the first foundation then you have the second it builds on top and moves and moves and moves in these great gradations that are just brilliant and logical and work as far as i'm concerned so the second foundation is the foundation of feeling tone recognizing whether your experience is pleasant or unpleasant or neutral it's so important because when it's pleasant, we tend to want it more. When it's unpleasant, we tend to push it away. And when it's neither, we tend to get bored and wander into delusion. Because it's like there's nothing going on. There's nothing that's pricking us to take some particular action. So we just kind of go bleh, 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 bleh. Um, uh, so it's really important to pay attention. And this is, I love one of the nuns called this as an, this feeling tone, Vedana, this, this, this um, reaction to experience as an evolutionary piece of luggage. You know, it's from back when we were creatures um, looking out to make sure there was nothing going to eat us. You know, we had to be alert. Is it, is it, if it's unpleasant, got to run away. If it's pleasant, maybe we can go after it. 
it's it was a survival mechanism, but it's it doesn't need to to be carried into every single thing that happens. I had the other day I was eating breakfast and I was sitting there and all of a sudden I was just eating and the thought came into my head that the thought the question came into my head and in in Buddhism the mind is is a sense thought you know so it's this sensory input came in and said did you pay your property tax and all of a sudden I was like halfway out of my chair in less than a second gonna run in here and see if I had a, a log on check my accounts or look and see if I had the receipt or whatever and I was I was like and then I went sit back down sit back down and I could feel the constriction in my heart I could feel that unpleasant and that's what it was it was unpleasant a thought came through my reaction to it was oh shit unpleasant fix it now take care of it ah. and if I'm not paying attention I'm like running across the house at you know 630 in the morning pulling things out getting online whatever it is I'm doing not knowing that there's this 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 constriction this fear this thing that's driving me that's a really simple thing but that's how this stuff works and if we're not paying attention it we're doing shit we don't want to do we're calling people names we're punching them out this you know it's really important when we're that's what this the the mythology of of race we've created stories or stories have been created that this is these people this, these are their characteristics so if you see this ah you know all the, the lines i feared for my life you know that's that's a that's a a, a a feeling tone a reactive feeling tone and so to recognize that if you don't recognize that you're doing shit you don't want to do or maybe you want to do it but really it's probably not beneficial for you or the or or somebody else so to have to pay attention you know it leads to a trigger reaction which is not helpful or beneficial and so we have to recognize that it's not the thing itself it's our response it's our reaction is pleasant or unpleasant the thing is neutral you know the thing is neutral it's how we react to it because you have two different people with totally different reactions so obviously it's not the thing music somebody loves it somebody hates it something they see somebody loves it somebody hates it and other people could care less so just paying attention to that because it's so important it's so important and uh, how we walk through the world and then the third foundation is um, uh, establishment being established in the mind beginning to see what's happening the Buddha said no when there's anger no when anger is present no when anger is not present no when greed is present no when greed is not present so know the state of the mind know the conditions of the mind what and tend to it if there's anger present don't just say I'm fucking pissed just say oh look there's anger present and tend to it Anger's not present. Cool. How do we make sure that stays that way? This is wise effort. You bring wise effort into this to, to know what's happening. So important. Really, really, really important. Do I have a thing there? Um, uh, and then finally, the fourth foundation is, um, is the, 
mindfulness of the dhammas, which is like a grounding in reality. It's knowing the habits of the mind which lead to, to suffering or to um, awakening. Know what's happening. Are you in a place, and they talk about inside, included in the, included in the, um, in this foundation are the five hindrances and the seven factors of awakening, as well as um, um, uh, the aggregates and the sense, senses and um, 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 the four noble truths that, you know, what suffering, the end of suffering. So to really see what's happening and and it's helpful, I think um, what's really important is that when we look at um, our experience and the Buddha has said, know when there's anger, know when there's greed, know when there's not. So this is to see what's happening and, and you start, you you. The, the hindrances are laid out here so you can recognize, oh, here's craving, here's aversion, here's restlessness, here's calm. And then when those are not present, you're in the factor of awakening and the factors of awakening are what take you to enlightenment. Equanimity is the last piece on that, but that is, again, as Analio said, the foundation to liberation. You need to have that equanimity because it's the basis for waking up, for realization. So the seven foundations of, or the, excuse me, the seven factors of awakening are very important to recognize when they're there. I, I gave a Dharma talk years ago and, I, and when I talked about this and it was basically how to know when you're not suffering. How to know when you're not suffering. Because we're so focused on that piece that we have to recognize when that suffering is not there and cultivate that. And the first factor of awakening, funnily enough, is mindfulness. So inside the teaching on mindfulness is the teaching on mindfulness, which is not surprising because this is like, it's a, it's a maze with no exit is what this Dharma is. It's a, you can't get out because it always leads you back to the same thing. But, eventually you wake up. So you have to um, pay attention, pay attention and see what's going on. Investigate it. What is this? That question, what is this? What is this thing right here? Oh, there's anger arising. Okay. I see that. Or there's an, an absence of anger. Really pay attention to what's going on um, and bring energy to it. You know, make the effort to come back, make the effort to let go, make the effort to hold the, the, the wholesome qualities, the beneficial qualities. Um, make sure you're not let go of any preferences. Then when you're established in this, mount, um, this foundation of mindfulness, when you're established in this place where there, you're not clinging, you're not pushing things away, when you're kind of getting to a place of balance, moving towards balance, there comes a joy. And it's not necessarily let's have a party joy, but there's the ease of not being, being um, uh, troubled by clinging, by aversion. And I liked um, a couple of weeks ago, I think a few weeks ago, I talked about joy. 
And if joy is a word that doesn't land, that you're like, it's hard to relate to, because some of these translations are, this is oftentimes, joy is oftentimes translated as rapture, which is like, I'm not even saying that one, because that, that can go in a whole bunch of different directions. So I just, joy is also pretty commonly used in this. But ease, contentment, peace. So there's this sense of, okay, just the calm, like when you um, are just watching, if you're at, if you, if you like going to the beach and you're just sitting there and watching the surf, you know, without the chatter of the mind, without the chatter of the mind, that's the joy. And which leads to this place of calm and tranquility. So these are all the factors of the awakening. And then that leads to what's often translated as concentration. But again, the, the nuns this weekend, uh, Aya Santachita, offered a, a, an alternative translation, which she prefers, like um, steadfastness or collectedness of mind, where the mind is calm. The mind is just focused and steadfast. It's not concentrated, gives her the idea of like, which has a little bit of striving in it. But I, so I like that too, this just collectedness of mind, which leads to equanimity, which leads to this, this expansiveness. All the things I've, I've said that people have said in equanimity is, which is also perspective, seeing the big picture and not having to hold on to anything. Analio says, equanimity comes from the refinement of feelings which move past pleasant or unpleasant and, and transcends the object. You are just, just able to be. You transcend whatever's going on. You can just hold it without needing it to be X, Y, or Z. It's okay. It's okay. And it doesn't lead to passivity. That's not what we're talking about. I always have to throw that in there. It doesn't lead to you just going, ooh. It leads to this calm and this place of, of strength. Because if you're not running away from stuff, you don't have to hide from anything. You can face it. You can face the, the, the terrible grief and pain and suffering that's that's smacking us in the face right now it's there there's a lot of pain and suffering right that's there's always a lot of pain and suffering but it's front and center right now and we're feeling a lot of it because of of what we've been going through the last few months with the pandemic and then and then this upheaval which is actually quite i think beneficial but it's painful at the same time there's a tremendous amount of sadness that arises just you know walking around sometimes so to be able to not to be able to hold it to, without having to shut down is a very powerful place to operate from that's the place of equanimity that's a place of wisdom and clarity of being able to hold everything hold the pain and not miss the joy you know, it's still cherry season, so I'm still still um, luxuriating in cherries. I went to the farmer's market and bought some more this morning because they make me happy, you know. And then I went to the march and was very, very sad. 
And so it, that's what life is. And to be able to hold it without clinging or grasping is, is, is powerful and, and what this, this Dharma offers us. So those are my thoughts on equipoise. <laughs> so um, I'm going to break you into groups as I, as I am want to do. Yet I would like, I mean, if there's any questions or comments before I do that, I'm welcome. I'm, you are welcome to um, ax away. What I think is important is maybe I'll mention that or I should mention that you've all tasted this. You've all had experience of equanimity. Like I said, if you go to the beach and you watch the surf or you watch a cat playing or, you know, because they talk about when the Buddha was, um, he was in his, his wandering phase, his, his aestheticism and living a really difficult life, um, trying to find, you know, the, the end of suffering. He had a moment where he recollected a time when he was a young boy watching his father doing some work in the field. And he had this, this actual place of, ease and calm equanimity because there was no there was no grasping or clinging in his mind there was no aversion there was just calm and i know you've all had that but sometimes we don't pay enough attention so maybe you can reflect on if that is is if you even remember having that experience or if you haven't, you, you know, you might want to notice those types of things. I remember distinctly having it watching my cats play and now developing an awareness of it. Because this takes this stuff takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. It, it takes um, it takes practice, which is why we sit. We practice paying attention so that when we're walking around, we're more capable of paying attention. So that I don't jump up in the middle of breakfast and go running into the other room. Or I don't say things to people I really don't want to say. So, so there. Now, I really will shut up. Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.